0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Alami podcast, Change Your Company. This is another special episode because we are going live here on LinkedIn and on Facebook. Uh, I hope that there will be a lot of interaction here. Any any questions or comments you have, feel free to leave, and we will be interacting with you. My guest today is uh, Bretton Potter, who is the CEO of Culture Gene and uh, author of two books, Uh, own your culture and culture decks. Uh, Hi, hi Brad. Welcome to the Alami podcast, Change Your Company.
1: Uh, Thanks very much for having me. Great to be here. I'm really looking forward to, to our conversation. Yeah.
0: So the, the, the topic that we are looking at here today is how to drive positive culture in a continuously challenging times. And, and you are a, a guru when it comes to company culture. And you've been dedicating, dedicating big part of your professional career, driving and exploring this and helping organizations uh, implement some best practices to, to create a great positive culture. But why is this important today more than ever?
1: Well, I think in our in our situation with this pandemic rolling and being forced to go remote, um, it's critically important because most leaders before um, this environment, working from an office, uh, actually re- were a little bit lazy and relied on their office to develop and maintain their culture. And what we're seeing now is that with our people spread around, you know, outside of the office, we don't have as much control. We don't have as much insight. And actually, that culture that we took for granted is now starting to degrade and the culture is changing. So now is the time, I believe, for leaders to really up the ante when it comes to culture and start to build a positive culture. Because there is so much stress, anxiety and negativity in this system, as, as you well, are well aware, that now is the time to do this. Now is the time to build a culture that people can associate with and, and really relate to in these difficult times.
0: Yeah. So one of the things during crisis and challenging times, like the level of uncertainty gets very high. Is culture a way to create some certainty and and confidence in people because we somehow we predict or we know how we behave and how we deal with each other and how we work? Is, is that true?
1: Yeah, I definitely think so. I think culture gives an organization stability. But it also does the additional element of giving you agility. So if you've built a strong functional culture, your culture will anticipate and adapt to the changes better than a culture that is weak and dysfunctional. And actually talking to the to the CEOs I talk to at the moment, the ones who invested in their culture pre-COVID are finding it, they, look, they're still struggling, but they're finding it much easier to do this transition to forced remote, forced lockdown work-from-home situation, and you can see how that culture has helped them adapt, and it's helped them retain some of the social connection and retain some of the underlying camaraderie better than other companies.
0: Excellent. So, I mean, I think uh, it's really interesting what you say. It creates stability. And flexibility at the same time. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. I just want to say hi, hi, Martin. Uh, I see. Uh, so everyone who would leave us a comment will be interacting with you. If you have questions about the topic, if you have a small team about how to drive positive culture during this challenges, uh, challenging time, please feel free to ask us. And uh, yeah. So again, so working virtually. And with all the ch- changes that are happening every day, how how culture in this environment is a bit different than culture at the office.
1: So I think if you the the best way to look at this is what we had. So if you think about December two thousand and nineteen, most of us had proximity. We had that physical interaction. We could read somebody's body language, whether in a good mood, a bad mood, happy, unhappy. You know, we had that immediate and reliable communication. We had informal communication. The water cooler moments just happened naturally. Um, Creativity, brainstorming, giving feedback, uh, the, 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 the areas around recognition and reward and well done, all of these things happened much much more naturally because there, was the, there were these four walls to give it to us. We had the camaraderie, culture by default, much more control of the environment. If you look at it now, that's most of that's gone. We don't have any of that now. Now we've got to interact in this virtual way. So if, 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 if leaders are thinking about what's changed, you've got to think about what we had, think about what's changing, which is literally our culture it has changed and is changing. And then what we must do about, do about it and how we must adapt. And I think the best way to adapt to this moment is to understand what the, the best remote companies do well. So companies like GitLab, GitHub, Zapier, TopTel, Buffer, Hotjar, these companies have been building remote-first and remote, fully remote companies for five-plus years And they've already made the mistakes that we are making now. So, that's Mm -hmm. my uh, my perspective is understanding what the best remote companies are doing.
0: Okay, that's great. So, since we are talking about this, what kind of insights we can get from their own journey developing great cultures when working remotely?
1: So I've I've um, I've actually been studying this because I'm building I, as I told you we um, in our previous conversation I've been building some software on the side uh, of my business to replicate my process. And so I've I've come to realize that these companies focus on nine best practices and those best practices revolve around process communication structure developing social connection documentation uh, keep forgetting one. Focusing on trust and and reliability, results based output, and um, really f- focusing down on being deliberate about their culture. These are the areas that we, we as companies we do previously would would have done some work in our office based environment, but remote companies over index on these. They they really work very hard on these
0: okay so let's let's uh, let's talk about maybe the three most important ones in you, in your opinion like three or maybe five but how is it different for example you talked about communication for example communication comes uh, into our mind right away when we talk about virtually how are these companies ap- approaching this differently
1: so if you if you think about it communication we we essentially have two two methods of communication synchronous which is what's happening now, and asynchronous, where I leave you a message or I don't expect an immediate response. With synchronicity, we're designed as human beings for synchronicity, so it's something we almost expect to do. But the, the requirement for synchronicity is presence and availability. We knew people were present and available in the office, but now we don't know when people are present and available when they work from home. So remote working companies focus on asynchronous work. A lot of them never communicate synchronously or very rarely communicate synchronously because synchronicity takes presence and availability and you don't know where people are, especially if you're spread around the world and you're in multiple time zones. So communication transitions from being in person in real time to being delayed but companies design their, their communication so that there is no delay. The, the mm. business works as effectively communicating asynchronously, actually, in some cases, better asynchronously than it, w- than it would synchronously.
0: Yeah. So, Sa- Samer, uh, he's one of the people watching us now. He says, I believe it's about discipline, communication, and deliverables. Do you agree with this?
1: Yeah, I think, I, think um, I agree with the second two. I think discipline, you need that in, in, in remote and uh, office-based. Um, communication, definitely, as we just discussed. On the deliverable side, it's actually there, there are two elements of this if you think about what remote companies do. Remote, remote companies build work on trust very hard, and most of them that I've studied lean in towards transparency. If you're transparent, you have nothing to hide. So first of all it's about trust which is around the deliverable trusting somebody to deliver and then it's about output and outcomes and results you can't micromanage in this type of environment so you have to trust your people give them the space and the structure and you have to create the environment for them to deliver on the output required so yeah i would i would agree with that the first mm-hmm. step to.
0: yeah and why do you think a lot of managers are still finding it difficult to not micromanage and, uh, and and feeling worried all the time that their direct reports are maybe not engaged or maybe not even productive. why do you think so?
1: I think because their fundamental operating model has been based on distrust and whether they've learned that through the companies they've they've worked in or they themselves operate in that manner, but if you if you operate in a micromanagement type of environment you're, you you're trying to keep tabs on people unnecessarily because you can't and they you know they may have they may be going for a walk they may be looking after their parents who knows what they're doing you don't know their situation but also your people end up working longer hours to try and demonstrate to the micromanager that they're working which then will end up in burnout and mental health issues so, so my recommendation, if you are a micromanager or if you have a micromanager in your team, is to get a coach. You really have to be able to talk this through to learn and un unle- to learn the new ways and unlearn those natural behaviors of distrust.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about maybe the, some of the other uh, uh, insights from these companies which made this shift a while ago. So you talked about communication, uh, you talked about processes, for example. What about processes?
1: Yeah, so, so in a co-located office-based environment, you didn't need to be as deliberate about processes because they kind of happened. A good example would be onboarding. Most companies' onboarding was really quite poor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, people w- relied on osmosis and relied on, the person's proximity i can quickly lean across and ask john what to do or what what's the answer to this question but if you don't have an onboarding process now that's really well structured and very disciplined you're in trouble because they're never going to learn about your culture they're never going to learn about the team it's going to take much longer and so that's one example of of being deliberate about a process if i would ask um all of the the people watching think about what the process requirement is to set up a meeting in your office now, sorry, in your team now. And actually, if you think about that process, most people don't have one, but the best run remote companies have a process. And that process involves documentation and it involves sharing. So you you create an agenda, you create a working document, you share it before the meeting. The working document is interacted on before the meeting. In the agenda, you say who you want to come to the meeting and why and what you expect from the meeting. You then hold the meeting, and there are notes taken. The notes are shared, and it becomes a project working document rather than let's have a meeting and let's discuss something. Often meetings are completed before the meeting happens in remote companies because they don't need the meeting because it's been documented and worked through before the meeting happens. Mm. That's an example of process where remote companies work hard to to get process right.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, in addition to this, when it comes to processes, there are some tools basically which help make this process possible, like uh, uh, collaboration tools, like again, shared documents, uh, like all this uh, software or application for teamwork, virtual teamwork, virtual collaboration. There is uh, Mural, for example. It's It's a tool for brainstorming. There is... Something I used in a lot of my interventions I've done uh, called Padlet, which is a like a uh, online uh, board uh, where you can post things like pictures and and this creates like, this great, really great dynamics. People get to see each other like and and know how each other context is and what they are doing, how they are feeling, etc. Any other things about the tools?
1: Yeah, this is a very important area that that um, remote companies really really focus on, because moving away from moving from synchronous to asynchronous means you can you can build more permanence in your data. So in in in, there's, in a in a in a telephone call, it's low permanence of the of, of the information shared because the call happens and if nobody takes any notes, there's nothing happens. But in remote companies, they move towards permanence, so they use They use chat. They use forums like Twist and Discord. They use project and task tools like Trello and GitHub, GitLab and Figma. They use collaborative documentation like Google Docs, Dropbox. They use knowledge bases and wikis and company handbooks to do most of the work. So most of the work happens in semi-synchronous and asynchronous. And email becomes an external communication tool. That very few very few of these companies use email as an internal tool and they start recording zoom calls so that they can they can have a recording of it and turn it into an asynchronous scenario which can be listened to later
0: very interesting I think this is for me has been one of the insights uh, in, in my own journey like leading this uh, strategic intervention which are for organizational development and transformation and uh, the idea of like knowing when to use synchronous, once to use asynchronous, and uh, and maybe we need to explain it like to the people again. The synchronous is about like how we are having this call right now. It's synchronous. Asynchronous is something which people could go and reply to at any point. Uh, and uh, and mixing this two, I, I I don't know if you agree with me, but for example, Zoom fatigue is in a way the result of. Re- too much relying on synchronous communication. Do you agree?
1: I completely agree. If you're doing Zoom fatigue, if you've got Zoom fatigue, then you're doing it wrong. Um, and actually, what's happening is the companies that 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 I'm am to- talking to um, are, are saying, you know, we we've got Zoom fatigue, and we're doing all these Zoom meetings, and then we've got we got to work at night to catch up and actually do the work. And the remote companies that I that I've in- researched and investigated. Some of them have no synchronous communication, zero, because they know that it requires presence and availability, and not everybody is present and available when you need them. And if you have presence and availability for a call or a meeting, you can't be doing work. So so the companies like Hotjar, for example, they actually define their week. They say Monday we do this, Tuesday, Wednesday, we do Wednesday Wednesdays for hot jars are meeting-free days. There's no meetings on Wednesdays. And they say people must be available between 2 and 5 p.m. CET so that there's an overlap in online availability. So companies in the remote environment build structure around their communication as well. It's not Excellent. just allowed to be, to be fluid.
0: Excellent. So, let's talk a little bit about how, uh, so what does it, what does it uh, include, like the process of creating great, again, positive culture, company culture? And, and again, I mean, maybe we, we whether I'm a th- I have a team of five or 500 or 5,000, uh, what does, I mean, what's a process, like how to go about it?
1: So if so, whether you've got a team of five, five hundred, or five thousand, you have a culture. You're, the thing about culture is it's largely subconscious, invisible, and intangible, and it develops over time as a function of of learning how to do things. So as you learn success, so you so so that becomes the way we do things around it. And the the, the description that I like of, of culture is the way we do things around it. So it's very broad. But my key, the key elements of, of of my process that I work with my clients is define the values, the mission, and the vision. And if you're a small team, startup, early stage, include your whole team in the process. If you're a large team, try to include different people in the process. It's very it, it's very rarely successful when a manager comes in and says, or the CEO comes in and says, these are the values. Take it or leave it. Often the system kicks kicks against that. I'm sure you've seen, Um, Ferd. And what most, the mistake most companies make is they define their values and their mission and their vision and they stick them up on the wall and they say, well, we hope things will change now. (laughs) And nothing (laughs) changes.
0: I've seen this many times before. That's why I'm (laughs) laughing.
1: Exactly. And we've all seen this many times before, but most companies and most people don't know what to do next. So in our process, what we do is we embed these values, mission and vision into the leadership team. So first and foremost, the leadership team have to know how to live these and, they, and we give them a framework to live by these values. And then we embed them into the functions and processes of the business. So an example of what a process embedding looks like is think about the recruitment process and the candidate touch points website linkedin social media recruiter job ad job description interview process onboarding probation personal review yeah we in we integrate the values and the mission and the vision and the behaviors into every single step of that so it it, it becomes natural it's it's there's nothing we have to it doesn't feel forced mm. to live the values it's part of the part of what we do Mm -hmm. And then we teach companies how to manage it, how to evaluate where they are in their process. And that's really the three-stage process that we run with our clients. Excellent. So
0: let's talk about, I mean, first of all, like one comment about what you said about leaders living the values. I really like how you say it's the first step of implementing, uh, like, the culture. Uh, And in a way, you are saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is... If you, as leaders, not ready to be the living example of these values, don't even, you know, put them there. Do you agree with this?
1: I can. Com- I completely agree. And actually, I go to, to when I work with my clients, I talk to the board and I talk to the CEO and I work with the CEO. So, so if if the board are not bought in and the CEO isn't bought in, I don't bother. I don't even. I don't care how much you want to pay me. I don't bother doing. It. And then once I've got the CEO on board and the board on board, then we go down and down and down because because it, it trickles down. The easiest way, there are only two ways to break a culture, to hire the wrong people and to behave in a way that is not consistent with your values. That's it. Nobody else can break your culture but you.
0: Yeah. I mean, behave and in underlying this would be also – what you promote or what you reward and uh, what you punish in a way, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, so there are only six ways, broadly speaking, to embed culture. It's how, as you said, it's how you hire, fi and promote, what you reward and recognize, what you measure and pay attention to, how you train, mentor, and educate, how you behave in crisis situations, and how you invest and allocate resources in the business. And that's actually that's that's where on the one hand culture is quite simple, on the on the other hand it's invisible, subconscious, intangible, and great leaders make it more visible, conscious, intangible. But actually, embedding it from a leadership perspective, if you understand that framework, is not that difficult. Mm-hmm. Can you
0: give us an example about a company which either changed its culture or defined its culture and implemented successfully without, like maybe mentioning names, but yeah.
1: Well I can I can I can give you one that I'm really really blown away by which is yeah. at the moment Microsoft. Um when Satya Nadella took over from uh Obama, it was a mess. And he's really done an incredible job of turning around a very poisonous culture. Um and he's he's been very, very focused on on doing that. And I recommend if people are interested in reading about this know read up on what he's done and and his 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 recent book but i've actually i've actually got a client that i can i can sort of talk you through the process we got a, a mm-hmm. company called psh psh operations mm-hmm. they're a solar maintenance and operations business growing very rapidly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they had their values defined but didn't know what to do next so we then mm-hmm. we went went through the process of embedding it into the leadership team and 80 percent of the leadership team came to me and said Thank you very much for giving me an explanation of how I can do this. You've given me the easy steps to do this. And from there, the recruitment's got better, the onboarding has got better, and the speed with which we've got people productive has got much, much better.
0: That's great. um, for, For leaders who are dealing today with virtual work, with a lot of this ups and downs of the crisis, What's one recommendation you could give them? Uh, application that they could uh, use based on uh, for for creating this positive culture or like strong culture.
1: So the, a, a practical application or a practical way of thinking about this really is to understand what I believe is is a huge problem coming down the line for most businesses, and this problem is what I call the tsunami of. Mental health and burnout issues, Mm. and whether you this is happening. This is this is a very serious element. It's happening, and it's happening right now in most companies, Um, and we're oblivious to it. We we're, we're not focusing on it, and we're thinking it'll go away, but it's not going to go away. And the the best thing to do, the one practical application, is to be human.
0: Mm-hmm. Allow
1: your people to, to, to create, create the environment of psychological safety by talking about the issues you are dealing with. So in my case, we're a small company. I have two children under three. And I will regularly tell, tell my team, wow, I'm struggling at the moment because it's really hard when you've got two kids under three to actually work a full day. Mm-hmm. You know? and, I, and I'm saying to them, look, some nights I am going to be working late. But that's just because I'm making up for the lost time in the day when I have to help with this or help with that or there's drama or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and so I'm explaining that, you know, I'm, I feel stressed because I'm not getting done what I need to get done. And I can't concentrate as, as, as hard as I'd like to concentrate. So I'm trying to create an environment of psychological safety where my people can talk to me in the same way. And talk mm. about themselves in the same way. I've also yeah. I've also got a coach, an external coach, who they're available to talk to, because yeah. this this thing, you know, burnout doesn't just burnout doesn't warn you it's coming. Yeah. And mental health issues don't warn you either; they just happen, and then the person's out of action for two, three, four months, or out of action permanently. And that's not fair. Our responsibility as leaders to give them a well-being capability in our organisation.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a great. And so basically what you're saying is uh, be vulnerable and human so people could also be vulnerable and uh, share their own concerns, challenges, and this will give you visibility so you can avoid big crises down the line, right?
1: Exactly. One of my clients has a, has a team of 100 people, and he started an AMA, Ask Me Anything, session. And, P, and it's, it's completely anonymous. And, and the questions that come in are quite tough sometimes. <laughs> sometimes he actually doesn't know. And he'll say, look, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. Let me think about it and come back to you. But the entire team, all the leadership team and everybody down are, are, are significantly better for it because he is being vulnerable. He's being human. And he's saying, yeah, I have answers to this. I can't answer that. And this is what we're aiming to do. And they're pushing him about diversity they're pushing him about you know mental health well-being et etc and he's reacting and it's a because he is now becoming a communication funnel for the issues of the organization. It's a really smart mm. really mm. smart interview.
0: and which which channel is he using for
1: this it's just it's just a, a confidential email uh, it's a, it's an i can't even remember the app but it's a very um, it's a it's a it's, it's an app where you just you you give everybody a, a, a link and they send the email through um, and an email address and it comes up and just says this is the question this is the question this is the question.
0: Mm-hmm. And how does he answer them? Just to tell the audience,
1: he will. He has a meeting uh, once every two weeks and goes on Zoom and he says Qu- first question this is the question this is the answer that I can give you second wow. question. So he's, you know, he's, it's, 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 he's obviously thought about it, but it yeah. is, life. he's thinking about yeah. it, he's been thinking about it, but it's also, you know, real time in some cases, almost real time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about uh, how did you get into this? I mean, it, again, it's a fascinating area. I, uh, I myself am still fascinated, fascinated by everything about culture, uh, because as you said, it's an invisible force and uh, the ability to to create like a great culture is is a is an art and a science if you if you agree with me but um and and this is something again in my work uh in agility this global logistic company uh, we we worked very hard on creating one culture even though we had around 20000 employees uh, in 100 countries uh, 500 offices and it took us long long time it was a marathon to to define one culture for organizations, especially that this company was the result of around 40 different companies that we acquired through a series of uh, acquisitions. So um, tell us about your your journey. Uh, what? How did you get into this?
1: Yeah, so I ran an executive search firm uh, prior to this for 16 years, and I think it's about five, five and a half years ago now. I was lucky enough to work with three leaders who all had a very clear understanding of their culture, almost one after the other. It wasn't exactly one after the other, but I was lucky because it happened in quite close proximity, which allowed me to, to which is when sort of I, I got this wow moment. But basically um, I was asked to find candidates with the right skills and experience, but mm-hmm. also candidates that matched the values of the company. And this was a much harder search to do for me and my team. It's hard enough finding good candidates. Now you got to find good candidates and a match of the values. Mm-hmm. But actually, the the um, the process took longer. But when we got to the interview stage, you you just saw the difference. You saw there were it was almost in, in in cases it was like they'd been dancing tango for ten years. There was wow. just there was just this this the, you know there was that, this this connection that was odd. And I was watching this, and I was fascinated by it. And then the candidates that were successful fundamentally impacted the culture of the business very quickly. And actually, they were they were successful in their in, in 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 those businesses, and those businesses went on to do very well. Um, and so, seeing this is when the penny dropped for me. And I thought initially it was just startups or high growth companies that where, where culture was missing, um, but I started to interview companies and and leaders of companies with. strong culture and so i've interviewed over well i've been referred to over 500 companies with a great culture Mm. and actually i could only interview just over 50 of those companies because i would i would be told go and speak to james great culture and then i'd speak to james and james would have some values and some interesting stuff they're doing but as soon as i got lower into the layers of the onion there was nothing they weren't embedding they weren't really they weren't really reinforcing they weren't managing it was just a little bit of haphazard superficial stuff which is what most companies are and i realized that 9 out of 10 companies have not done a good job of their culture definition mm-hmm. and so hence that was that was really for me where i realized this is and i'm very i'm fascinated by this by culture you know it's it's my it's it's my passion now mm. it's I, I, I wake up and I get out of I go to bed sleeping about it. wake up thinking about it. It's, you know, unless my children yeah. wake up. it's just yeah. this, it's this wonderful thing that I've been allowed to explore and, and work with great people uh, in. So yeah, that's how, that's how it all came about.
0: Yeah. So basically the, uh, the, the findings from this research that you've done, this interview is in your book on your culture.
1: That's right. Yeah. So, so, mm. But what I've what I've basically done is is I I believe it's the first book where it's very tactical. It's not strategic mm. in the sense like um, Zappos or Netflix. It's you know what what these companies are doing day to day to define, embed, and manage their culture. That's so it's,
0: great.
1: Each each chapter has five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten examples. The learning from the examples. Some examples failed. Why they failed. Um, and so it's it's broken down into a framework where you can literally take an example and try it in your company today
0: mm. with a little bit. thought. Mm. excellent. And uh, just tell me a little bit about the other book that you have which is Culture Dex it's called.
1: Yeah, so Culture Dex decoded um actually came out of came out of the result of a failure to write mm. own your culture. So I wrote I wrote I interviewed all of these people wrote blogs. I'm a terrible writer. In the book, I describe it as r- r- sort of wading through mud while wrestling an anaconda. It's just hard, hard work for me. And I, and, and I hit a wall when I was trying to write the book. I just, couldn't, uh, I just couldn't make any sense of what I'd written. And so I decided to write. Uh, I, I wrote a blog post ages ago about the best culture on the web. And it and it, it still to this day gets is, is one of the most read blogs I've written, and so I thought I'll write a little e-marketing book on this, and uh, and I took Netflix's culture deck, LinkedIn, Asana, HubSpot, Hootsuite, all of them available on on SlideShare, and I basically took the best slides from each deck and turned it into a framework of how they describe their vision, their mission, their values their behaviors, diversity and inclusion, feedback, and so on. So you can read through, read through the book, look at the, look at the deck and go, ah, I, I, I like that or I don't like that. Cause you can't copy a culture, but you can yeah. borrow. A culture. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, and just talking about this, you can't copy, but you can borrow. Uh, how, I mean, how is this something that you create from scratch versus something which is evolving from the group of people and the time you are together. I mean the, the values.
1: I think I think you you create you you you've got to define what your culture is, whether there are two of you who've just started a business, 15 of you who've been doing it for eight months, or three thousand of you. You've, got to, you've still got to try and understand what are the values, what's important to us. And so what, what I do with, with, with my clients is we've got – I've developed some software where we do, we do work online workshops, which I help them – I facilitate the process of these workshops live. Um, so we've got people all over the world, and we go through these various stages, various workshops. And essentially what we do is we define the current values, the aspirational values – and the impediments between that, the impediments to achieving these aspirational values and what's slowing the business down. Mm. And then define the values, essentially define the values that we're going to agree upon, which if you if you do a good job of them, will be part current, part aspirational, and will help overcome the impediments in your business. Mm. And, I, and I believe you should, especially if you're an early stage, smaller company, I really believe you should include your whole team in this you must get everybody's buy-in everybody's engagement
0: mm-hmm. talking about this one idea that comes to me now is like what what do you say to the leaders who don't believe in the power of the culture or like that it's like really it's a really soft thing and it's not that important what do you say to such leaders
1: good luck <laughs> I, so, I don't i don't i don't i don't fight that battle because i don't yeah. have the time there there yeah. are there are basically i, I in, in my book i define five five leaders the culture agnostic that's that type who doesn't care not interested doesn't think it's that important the tick box ceo where they do the pro, do values mission vision tick and forget about it the toe in the water ceo so somebody who's tried to find the values and mission and vision, but doesn't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. The culture-aware CEO who's done a good job, doing a good job, wants to do more, understands the value. And the fifth type of CEO is a new type of CEO, COVID-related, where they're going oh my God, I don't know how to replicate or what to do with the culture I didn't define because we had our offices and we were lazy about our culture. Now we don't have our offices and it's degrading. It's, we're losing, it. We lo- we're losing this, this thing that we had that was so amazing that we didn't define. So how do we quickly define that? And so mm-hmm. I like to work with the, the, the ones that have dipped their toe in the water, the ones that get it and understand it and the ones that are tr- transitioning.
0: Yeah, I I really like this cat uh, this categories uh, how you define them. But um, can we give one more insight to the people in the last in the last category or last two categories? I mean, what one more insight, a practical thing they could do, especially again during this challenging time.
1: So I think that with most companies, what's happened is we were forced into the situation, and then people tried things with to develop social connection so social connection it, if you do it well eliminates loneliness which is one of the first steps towards burnout and mental health issues mm. so, so social connection is something that really must be worked on but what's happened in all of these companies is, it's, is people have done this they're less and less engaged and less interested in their social connection because the leadership team are, ta- are making it their own responsibility to come up with these ideas number one and number two, they're trying to replicate going for a drink in the pub. And, and so people are going, hold on, this doesn't feel the same. I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I say to, to the companies I work with is in December, 2019, we were running around earth, breathing oxygen and running happily. We've just gone to the moon you can't run on the moon. You've got to jump. You've got to wear a suit. There's no oxygen. That's how much your culture has changed.
0: Wow, and, okay. That's a good metaphor, yeah. yeah.
1: And therefore, it's the whole team's responsibility to do social connection well. It's the whole team's responsibility to do this and find ways of doing it well. And don't try and do it always for the whole company. Find little pockets. Yeah. A, a company like Zapier... It's a bigger company, but they have a hundred hashtag fun Slack channels, and that's from people who appreciate red wine to dog walkers to people who like movie nights. They've developed micro communities which come mm. together to form one powerful community.
0: Mm, 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 mm. I think this uh, maybe I share like a couple of examples. Also, one I uh, I myself was leading during the COVID nineteen. Is uh, we were having this daily calls, and during this daily calls, I always allocated time for us to connect on a human level, right? Like, what's going on? How how do you feel today? And just going around, you know, what's on your mind, and giving it some, giving it the time needed instead of just rushing it. And I felt it really created great foundation for the work and the tasks. In hand to be explored so and the other one actually i was talking to a friend recently he worked for a small company and he told me like uh, during working virtually they were having a daily call nine o'clock in the morning and by the way my call actually with my team was nine o'clock uh and uh, which was really great because it set the tone for the day and remind people we are working together even though we are virtually uh, but we are working together. And he told me that they have this call like nine o'clock in the morning. And it was all about just like, hey, how going? Uh, how, how's Uh going? How is going, John? How is going, Mary? And just going around. And it could be like 10 minutes. It could be 15 minutes. It could be five minutes. But just like, hey, okay, I wish you a good day. And that's it. And they have the weekly call, which is all about like the projects and the work and all this. But this was just like to set the tone for the day, connect them on a human level. And I really, I really think that this is powerful, you know, when, when it's done with a, with a good intention, uh, which is I want to give my people the sense of connection. Do you agree?
1: It's really, really important to do this. And actually, remote remote companies do more one-to-ones that are, that are not business-focused. In other words, they do one-to-ones that are just how are you doing? Mm-hmm. what do you want to talk about if it's about business that's okay but actually how's it going with the family how's it going with the kids where are you going this weekend what are you doing what do you know mm-hmm. it's it's they do much more of that human interaction social connection to overcome the digital divide than we are used to
0: mm-hmm. excellent excellent so let's talk a little bit some uh, personal questions here and this section of the of our conversation what's one or couple of success habits that helped you helped you throughout the years uh, and again you you publish a couple of books uh, you you are the CEO of culture gene uh, this this company which helped organization define and apply, implement their culture. Uh, what success habits that helped you?
1: So most recently, um I'd say the last three years now, yeah three years um, is i've I've judged my success based on being a good husband, a good father, and a good business partner and that that's helped me find a little bit more balance than I am used to because my 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 typical default is all in business mm. and so 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 finding that balance for me i still haven't got it right yet, and my wife still complains about certain things and et cetera et cetera um rightfully so most of the time but i uh, you know trying to being a trying to be a good husband father and then business business partner business colleague has 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 really been a good framework for me over the last three years since since we we, we had our, our our first our first children um before before that um it was a lot of exercise um swimming you know I, I believe in i believe that a lot of frustration we we harbor in our bodies um and just getting that out and and and, and just loosening that has, has, has been vital for me um, the other thing that I've sort of forced myself to do is just to write more even though I don't like it and that's where the books have come from so I think those those as habits exercise writing and just trying to be a little bit more balanced of what I'm what I've focused on more recently
0: that's great uh, what about learning how did you keep learning uh, all these years and 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 to to dig for this insights, how did you manage to keep growing?
1: So I read voraciously. I, you know, I read most now mostly about company culture, and I watch company culture videos of different companies. Um, so I'm a big reader. I, I, I think I, you know what you're doing, Flawed, with this um, this podcast and these interviews is, is where I really managed to learn the most. So. The 50 plus interviews I did with the companies um, that I managed to find that had a strong functional culture, uh, those gave me the most insight into into the theory that I had. So I'd read a lot, I had a lot of theory, but then when I started seeing it in practice, that's where the the, the real learning came, and then and then doing it, you know, just doing it, applying it in with my clients has been obviously very helpful to learn what works because each culture is different. Each company is different.
0: That's great. That's great. Uh, I think this is this is something for me is like you now in the podcast, uh, having this conversation, it's a great teaching. Uh, so I, I keep learning from every conversation uh, like this one. So what's what's one advice you have, or maybe a couple of advices to leaders.
1: Um, so, a guy named David Cummings co- uh, coined this phrase culture is the one sustainable competitive advantage that you have complete control over as the CEO. And if you think about culture being the one sustainable, obviously, if you've got amazing IP and patents, that's not necessarily only the case. But most, most businesses today do not have that. Uh, most businesses are about execution and good people. But culture is the one sustainable competitive advantage that you have complete control over. Nobody can impact your culture but you and your team and your managers. Mm. The second thing is, If you, you, my recommendation is that you start to treat culture like a business function, and you start Mm -hmm. to manage it as such, like sales or finance or engineering. That's how important it is, and that's how important it's always been. But we were lucky in an office; we didn't have to be that focused on it. Now we do.
0: Okay, great. What about young leaders, aspiring leaders who are still who want to move up to the top?
1: If you if you get culture right um, in a big business or a small business, you're you know essentially the culture lifts you. If you get the if you build a strong culture, a, fun, a, a functional culture, a positive culture, the people operate well, operate better, and lift you up. So for me, it's about that. It's about you know culture is all about trust it's about communication it's about many things and getting those things right in your team or your organization as a young leader will just lift you up i you know it's it, i'm sounding a little bit like a stuck record culture 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 but that's what i believe
0: yeah i mean by the way just talking about this do you, do you know is it is it true that peter drucker the one who said culture eats strategy for breakfast
1: it's actually, it, it, there, it, he, there is, um, I'm not sure he is. He's the one who, who is given the, um, he's the one who's given the credit for it, but it's actually it actually was, a, I think it was a colleague or a partner of his that originally, originally okay. came up and then he, I think he repeated it a bunch of times and he ended up a little bit more famous. But I, yeah. actually, think, I actually think culture and strategy go for breakfast and then they have lunch and then at dinner they beat the competition.
0: I like that that's great okay so uh, my last question is what's the legacy that you'd like to leave behind Brett
1: so my vision for Culture Gene is to help change the culture of business and thereby impact millions and millions of people's daily work lives for the positive for the better and that's what I'm going to do until the day I die um so, you know, that's the legacy I hope to leave is an understanding of culture as a critical business function, something you can measure, something you can manage and something you can develop and strengthen.
0: This is a great. Uh, this has been really a very inspiring conversation uh, and I'm really grateful for you, Brad, for being with us, for sharing this insight. I'm uh, really Uh, inspired by by your journey and by your the mission that you are on because it's really uh it's it's the same mission that uh, i am on and this podcast is on which is helping organizations and leaders to create a great high-performing workplace so thank you so much for joining us again and i wish you the best of luck uh, in your journey
1: thanks very much i've I've enjoyed uh i've enjoyed the, the podcast it's uh it's always great to talk with somebody about culture rather than, you know, be interviewed because, you you know, you get it um, and, and it's something you've obviously worked on. So I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much. And thank you so much, everyone who's been watching us live on LinkedIn, Facebook, and also to all our listeners. Please, if you haven't subscribed, uh, hit subscribe. And also, if you haven't given us feedback about the podcast, I would love to hear from you. Until the next episode, please take care. Please keep making a difference and impact and keep inspiring the people around you. Bye.